Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I am your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we are going to talk about the importance of authenticity in leadership. And it is my pleasure to welcome an amazing executive leadership coach, business strategy consultant, legal and operations executive, speaker and writer, organizer of chaos, and philanthropist. It is my honor to have Sonia Sigler on the show. Sonia is in the business of building confidence and loves to help women break through the glass ceiling. She works with highly motivated professional women who feel stuck, uncertain, or frustrated in their career. She empowers them to find a job they love that is balanced and aligned with their work-life vision. It took her many years to learn to do this, and now she helps others design and live their balanced life. Sonia combines her one-on-one executive leadership coaching and business strategy consulting to create real-world game plans that are practical and accomplishable for startups and companies looking to grow quickly or to reinvent themselves. She focuses on strategic planning and the implementation of solutions to difficult and seemingly intractable problems. Her extensive experience as an operations and legal executive ranges from startups to new business ventures inside public companies. She is a frequent writer, speaker, and trainer on many topics. Her most popular presentations and workshops are on authentic personal branding, mentoring, work-life vision, effective networking, how to ask for a raise, and the top 10 tips to manage your career. She has spent a considerable amount of time speaking and teaching on various legal-related topics and has trained over a 1,000 lawyers in statistics and linguistics for data analytics. Her other training programs focus on philanthropic grant writing, fundraising, and advocacy. It is my pleasure to welcome Sonia Sigler to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, Tina. So let's start our conversation by hearing a little bit about your background and what made you decide to become a lawyer. Well, I wanted to be a lawyer since about eighth grade, and I had an amazing U.S. history teacher, Mrs. Grinkmeyer, and she taught the U.S. Constitution, and I just thought it was an amazingly elegant document, and it was so important to uphold the rights for everyone, and I wanted to be able to do that and become a lawyer to do that. So everything from like eighth grade on is what I put my heart and soul into becoming a lawyer, and I couldn't understand why I had to go through high school to get to college and then go through college to get to law school. Why couldn't I just go right to law school and do the fun stuff. And so (laughs) (laughs) it was kind of, I I was very driven to get there and I really loved it. And, um, you know, it's very interesting when you go in with one idea and then you get there and it's different than you thought it would be. It's different than you expected. And it's just an interesting journey. I, went to Santa Clara Law School and I did a lot of different things, including like student government and running for office. And I worked on the certification program for the intellectual property certification. And that was just fantastic to be able to influence things like that. And I loved working while I was in law school and I had a 
I had a position at a law firm that had four lawyers and I decided that was not for me. And I really wanted to be in-house at a company with a product and a, you know, product launch and everything. And so I worked at Sun Microsystems for a little bit and that was, that wasn't even in the legal department. They're like, go malpractice on somebody else for a few years and then come back to us. (laughs) You know, that was while I was in law school and they were, they were funny. And I ended up doing administrative work there, getting paid more than I would have at a law firm, which was funny enough. That is interesting. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, you know, people were getting paid, you know, at the time, this was like $18 and I was getting paid $20 an hour. And I'm like, why wouldn't I take that work and, and not have all the stress? So I did that for a couple of years while in school. And then I was lucky enough, my third year of law school to clerk for an appellate judge and she was fantastic. And she was, she was the kind of person who was like, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And that is kind of how I am. I like to stay busy and I like to do things. And so working with her was fantastic. And that was just a really amazing work experience. And let's see, what else was amazing about that year? I worked at Sega my last semester of law school. I got really lucky. I came out of law school during an economic downturn, not too dissimilar to what's going on now. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people were having trouble finding jobs. And I was working uh, at Sega in-house and I stayed there after law school. So I got really lucky and didn't really go through that whole interview process. I knew I didn't want to go to a big firm. So I got really lucky at being able to start in-house and stay in-house. And then, gosh, about a year into being a lawyer and reviewing and drafting and doing agreement after agreement and license after license, I was kind of like, is this all there is? (laughs) And that's not at all what I expected after working so hard to become a lawyer. So, you know, that, that was an unexpected twist and turn. So you and I, when we spoke a while ago, You have such an amazing background of different work experiences and so forth. And I remember thinking that it was so amazing that you got some of the opportunities you got before you even graduated law school and you learned so much from those experiences. And as we know, having done this for a while and both of us having been out in the world for a while, sometimes you learn some of the most valuable lessons, you know, not necessarily through things that you love doing, but through things that you don't like doing. And so sometimes you get to where you're meant to go by knowing what not to do. And why don't we fast forward for our listeners a little bit in in terms of, you know, letting them know what you do now and what sort of led to you carving out your life's path as as it exists today? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting twist I mentored people all along from from the beginning of of my career and actually in high school as well. I was always the, you know, class ambassador, helping people, you know, taking them around, introducing them to people, you know, integrating them and welcoming them. And so that work of mentoring and helping bring along women was really important to me. And so I did that all along. And even while I was at Sega, I founded a group called the Women's Interactive Entertainment Association because there weren't really any resources for women in the video game industry to help them navigate, you know, a very male dominated industry. 
And it was important to be able to provide those resources and provide role models, you know, to each other and for others getting started in the industry and those that had been in the industry and, and were stuck and not progressing in their careers. And so all along, I had been helping where I could and speaking and, and doing training along the lines of being better leaders and finding the resources you need. I worked with startups for most of the last 20 years and all of them, but one had female CEOs and founders. That's so cool. Isn't it? I just really gravitated to helping women and And I'm one of these people that kind of walks the walk in terms of helping each other and not cutting each other down. I mean, that, that to me is like, I don't have time for that. (laughs) Um, I have time to help people. So the work that I do now really stemmed from seeing those leaders over time and seeing some patterns and being able to say, wait a minute, we can do something about this. Women, at least the founders that I worked with, and two of them were lawyers and two of them were engineers, and then a couple others from the sales and marketing side. And I find that they were super risk averse, and they wouldn't take the same chances that men would take in terms of leading their company or, or trying to get the sale. And so it was holding them back from succeeding. So seeing those things firsthand and being able to deploy those for me to become a better leader myself. And then let's see, I was at a startup that we ended up selling to Ernst and Young in 2011. So that, and I spent nine years there. And and you talk about having interesting career twists and turns. I had an opportunity there to do so many different things in terms of operations, legal, and business development that I was able to hone my skills all across the company. Taking those to help people now, I have a kind of a global view that most people don't have as an executive or an employee going down that path that they're in, whether it's marketing or sales or legal, I kind of have been able to do all those different areas. And that has uniquely positioned me to be able to help women leaders become better leaders and become better business owners all along the way. I think the other interesting thing about this whole career path is when I was at a company and I got laid off there in I guess at the beginning of 2014, my kids, I was, I was in the middle of getting divorced. So I had moved out and our kids were going back and forth. And I think they were all in high school or about to be in high school. And I've got three boys and they're pretty close in age. And I kind of took a look. I was commuting to San Francisco in that job that I got laid off from. That would kind of wasted two full hours a day. And if I wanted to get to their games, they all played three sports. If I wanted to get to their games or something happened and I'm an hour away by public transportation, because I, I tended to take BART, you know, it's, it's hard to navigate that when you've got other pressing, you know, things that you want to do with your kids. So I took a hard look at what I could do career wise. And I actually stopped looking for full time work after that. And I started consulting. And so when I had gone to startups, after being a lawyer for seven or eight years, and leaving my in house job at Intuit, I really concentrated on the business side and the legal side. And, and that's what led me to the, the job at Catafora where I was at for nine years. So I was kind of going back to that consulting with companies and, and law firms to be able to help them, you know, do specific things, projects they didn't want to do, but needed help to, to get over the line. And in part of the decision to do that and pursue consulting as opposed to full-time work, I really kind of had to sit down and say, what the heck do I want in my life? Mm -hmm. So 
I was able to just take a hard look at what I liked doing and what I didn't like doing. And I think it's just as important about what you don't like doing because those things will lead you to things that you want to avoid. Like I don't work with assholes. Um, <laughs> Little things like that, right? Right. I'm not going to put up with working with people I don't like any longer. And then also I really wanted to be able to control my schedule and pick and choose the work that I was doing because I did want to be there for their games. And so I was the photographer or one of the photographers for my boys football teams. And so I needed to be there Friday nights at four and then stay until the varsity game was over. So I did that for, for all the years they were in high school. And so I didn't take, I tried not to work on Fridays and then I like, to exercise every day. And I wanted to make sure I had time to build that in. And then I wanted to be able to help people specifically become better leaders and get their businesses off the ground. So I tend to work with a lot of entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, whether they're lawyers or entrepreneurs, to help them grow their business. And when I chose to do that, everything kind of just lined up to, to be able to do that. And then when I met my husband, he's like you've been so successful doing what you're doing. How much more successful are you going to be with someone who's supportive by your side? And he's the one that really encouraged me to start my own business to do the coaching and executive leadership work specifically. So it took me maybe two years to wind down the, the startups that I was working with and then wind up the coaching and consulting for for leaders specifically. So it was kind of a long and windy path, but it's been doing the same kind of work across the board for, for my entire career, whether it's mentoring people, you know, in a trade association way or mentoring and coaching people directly, which is what I'm doing now. Well, you know, you've got such an amazing background and, you know, what you've embarked on is incredibly meaningful work. And, I'm sure that our listeners would love to hear a little bit more when we sort of start peeling the onion, so to speak, and looking at what your style is in terms of coaching and consulting. When you break it down a little bit more, we know that the mentoring and the helping people is incredibly important to you. What is your, I guess I would say your approach or the tack you take when you are consulting with people? What differentiates your style from maybe other people that are out there selling what at least superficially sounds like similar services? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. One of my top skills is to be able to take a lot of information in and cut to the chase and whittle it down and, and explain things in plain English. And I would best describe my style as you know, kicking the ass with a hug. I, I kind of tell it like it is. I really don't mince words. And if I'm hearing something, you know, in, in what's going on with, with the client, then I'm going to say that observation. I'm not going to hold back and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And some people that works really well with, and some people it doesn't. So when I go through the process of vetting people that I'm going to take on as clients, that is one of the things I'm looking for is can they handle the truth? You know, can they handle tough observations about their behavior or about their actions? And at the same time, are they open and receptive to hearing that? I think one of the things, you know, that can hold people back and get them stuck, you know, to be where they are is that they are not honest with themselves. And so having that, just that impetus to hear the truth and, and to be able to say, huh, I hadn't 
really thought about it that way. That's the kind of person I'm looking to work with. And that's the kind of person I seek out. And I do that through talks. I do that through networking. I do that through things like I'm doing right now with you, Tina, in terms of talking and having conversations to, to get out that information and to, to really, you know, you, you mentioned peeling back the layers of the onion. And I think it's, it's easy to be superficial Mm -hmm. um, when you're talking about like some people let me into the career coaching. And it's really more than that because I, I do it holistically with the career and your life. And like I said, when I had to figure out what to do with my life after I got laid off from that job and I had three kids in high school and I realized I had limited time with them um, and how I wanted to be able to influence them and, and, you know, get them, you know, with a good start to go, go off to college. I really just had to say, how can I best help people? And it's how I can help them is tell them the truth and help point them in a new direction, you know, that they're interested in going in. I, I think one of the things that I know I did as an attorney when I started out, I know you, you know, we, we talked about wanting to be a lawyer since eighth grade is that I, I should do this became a really loud mantra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should do this. I should get a job at a law firm. I should, you know, get married by whenever I should have get, all those things that happen along the way that pull you slightly off course from who you are and what you want, you know, they add up (laughs) and they add up into, you know, what can be termed as a midlife crisis or, or being stuck or something in there. And I think that it's important to be able to dig deeper and go past the superficial go past the surface and pull, you know, those layers apart, as you said, to be able to figure out what you really do want going forward and then support you on how to reach that. So that's really how I, I think I'm different than other coaches or other executive leadership coaches uh, or other consultants is that I really, I really try to have an honest conversation with people and I really try to help them find out what they want and help them get there. So it's that roadmap and that planning as well as, you know, telling the hard truth. Well, I mean, that's, that is terrific. And authenticity is definitely a a key part of our conversation for today. And we're definitely going to come back to it, the need to to be transparent and authentic in your communications with people, but also when you're looking at, you know, looking yourself in the mirror, can you be authentic with yourself? So we'll get back to that in a moment. One thing I'd love to do to sort of set the stage for where we're taking our conversation today is you are clearly incredibly talented, have had a wonderful array of experiences and you believe very much in being a mentor and being a po- making a positive difference for people. And we are all a byproduct of not only who we serve, but who has served us and has been important by way of role models in our lives. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear as it relates to you and your life and people who have made an important difference to you. Can you just share a little bit about who some of your important role models have been? Yeah, you know, I've been really, really lucky. My mom has been an amazing role model. She um, was the main breadwinner. She worked, I mean, my entire life. I can't remember a time when she didn't work. She went to night school for 10 years to get a computer science degree and an MBA. And so when I was 10, she she graduated and we had a nice little celebration, but it was like one of those defining moments where you're like, wow, 
she worked for 10 years to do this. <laughs> you know, people give up easily on dreams. And that to me was just perseverance and resilience right there modeled for me. And then when I was about, I think 12 or 13, so a couple years later, she left her job at Eli Lilly and she started her own consulting company. So not only did I have a good role model for perseverance and resilience, I had a really good role model for starting and running your own business. And I think when I look back at the role models that I've had in my mother, I also have to look to my two grandmothers. Both of them worked as well. One was a nurse and then she worked in my grandfather's geological company. And then my other grandmother was a farmer's wife and a teacher. And she taught high school and taught math and shorthand and accounting, I think a couple other things. She just recently died. She was almost 101 and wow. she was quicken until, you know, in her mid nineties to run all the farm, you know, finances and everything. So I just had really amazing role models in my two grandmothers and my mother. And, and not everybody has that. And not everybody has family support to do what they want to do and what their dreams are. I mean, my mom's like, I don't know why you want to be a lawyer, but you know, if that's what you want to do. I'll support you. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, right? So I just feel like I had really good role models. And if I can be that kind of person for someone who doesn't have a strong role model in their, the women in their lives, then, you know, that, that to me is really important to be able to be that for someone else. Well, and you make a really good point that that's something that we all need. And in my own personal circumstances, I have three brothers and they have all been very significant role models. Unfortunately, just because of my life circumstances, I haven't had as many female role models as I would like to have. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of knowing, as, as you mentioned, you know, sometimes you need to figure out that you need that extra boost. And so, for example, over the years, I've done executive coaching, for example, to try to get some of what I think I felt like I had been missing. My mother passed away when I was a senior in high school. She was an incredible role model to me, and it's been over 30 years since she passed. Um, but you know, even after someone passes away, they can continue to have that indelible impact on your life, especially with the legacy that they leave. But I, I think you're absolutely right that you know sometimes things aren't exactly as you would like them to be in terms of role models. I think role models are a patchwork quilt of sorts and yeah. they shift and they morph and they grow. People sometimes start as role models, become peers or, or vice versa. And I, I think it's the whole concept of a role model is a very important one. Yeah. And I think people seeking out a role model is really important to their success. I teach a lot about networking. And one of the things I always encourage um, women to do is reach out to someone they admire and just let them know that they admire them and what it is in particular that they admire about that other person. And then ask them questions about how they did it. You know, how did they get to where they are? How did they make a success? And I think that that is an easy way to, to start a relationship with a role model and a mentor or a possible mentor. I think people get wrapped around the axle about, oh, it's some formal thing and I've got to ask someone to be my mentor. And that's the exact opposite way of going about it <laughs> as opposed to having a conversation and, and starting a relationship. You're absolutely right. There is a, a time and a place for formal mentoring 
which is incredibly important, but sometimes the most valuable relationships that you have by way of role models and mentors are the ones that happen more organically, where mm -hmm. you just have a natural affinity for each other and you're able to, you know, just serve that higher purpose at, at, at that time. Yeah. And I would say don't dismiss men as role models or mentors. I think two of my most um, influential ones were two men that I met at Sega. One was my boss that hired me and we've stayed in touch all these years. He's been general counsel at Sony for since he left Sega. So it's been a long time and I'm going to stop counting now. And <laughs> the other one was the VP of product development. And I did a lot of work to support his group. So I was the lawyer assigned to product development and he was just, he got the value of being able to be a good negotiator and, and the value of a good contract for developers with milestones and everything. So I ended up doing a lot of training for his group and his developers. And, you know, to this day, people that worked for his name was Joe, people that worked for Joe still tell me, wow, that was one of the most valuable things that, that you could have done for us is to give us that training. So being encouraged to, to shine, you know, where you're, you know, top skills are is, is really great. And mentors who support that or, or sponsors who have an influence to be able to, you know, get you a raise or get you a promotion in that kind of role, I think is really important to seek out. And I'd say, don't just, I know I spend a lot of time trying to promote women and help women in particular, but I work with men as well. I, I kind of make it jokingly is that I work with, you know, enlightened and progressive men. Mm -hmm. And I really do mean that because we're all in this together and we have to support each other and you can't just succeed as a woman leader just by yourself or with the help of other women. It's going to involve men and women. So I think cultivating that support wherever it is, you know, from a man or a woman or a well-rounded group of people is really important to keep in mind. That's an excellent point. And I think this is really the conversation that we have particularly, for example, in the context of diversity and inclusion, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. ethnic yeah. and racial diversity, for example, or whether it's gender diversity, LGBTQ+, however you define diversity, this is an important part of the conversation and you're absolutely right. And I think oftentimes people overlook the real important piece of this, which is the inclusion aspect of it as well. Yeah. And I think if you bring an open mind to meeting other people and, and with a mindset this, that says, what can I learn from this person, especially if they're not like you or younger, or older, or different, you know, from a different country, speak a different language, whatever that difference is to really celebrate it and to say, what can I learn from this person? You know, no matter how different or similar we are, I think it's a really powerful mindset you know, to approach that, that diversity inclusion issue with. Very great advice. And it's hard to believe that our time for our first segment's almost up. One question I want to make sure we get in before we transition to our second session is the rubber really meets the road as we talk about leadership and alluded to earlier in our time together that authenticity is one of those really key elements to not just leadership, but relationships and just being human. As we get ready to tee things up for our second segment, 
why don't we just take a moment and talk about what authenticity means to you generally and in the context of a conversation about leadership? I think from my standpoint, authenticity is being yourself, but also keeping in mind what values you hold dear and to be able to pick and choose what you do, who you associate with in a way that meets those values. So if you're at a company where the culture doesn't value integrity or doing what you say you're going to do, that might not be a good fit for you. (laughs) So I think that as long as you're living true to your values and you're acknowledging when you don't and trying to course correct, you know, as you go along that that authenticity will shine through and attract other people who are authentic. And I think when people get upset with things that you do, it's because you've hit a nerve in them and they can't understand, you know, that same level of authenticity. So I think for, for me personally, that I have surrounded with myself with other positive thinking people. And I've tried to cut the negativity out of my life because I want to be a positive force in other people's lives. And I want that for myself and for my family. And I think that holding those kind of lines and boundaries is important to maintain that and foster that authenticity. And I think it took me a long time to learn that. I would say getting laid off and doing soul searching and going through a divorce at the same time, you know, kind of forced me to do that and say, what do I want my life to be like? And to be able to put those things in place and to hold those boundaries true. It's just took, it took me a while to get there. (laughs) Well, that's very enlightening and a really interesting way of looking at authenticity, both, you know, personally and we're going to delve more into what authentic leadership looks like and what great leadership looks like in our next segment. And so as we wind down the first part of our conversation, do you have any closing thoughts and where can our listeners find you? You know, I always have closing thoughts. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I ask my uh, guests if they do. Yeah, I think seek out people that you want to learn from, you know, that kind of role model. And, and those people will, will, I think, default to the authentic side because you've sought them out and you want to know more about them and people are flattered by that. So I think going for it is really important when you're looking for mentors and role models and, and to be inquisitive and, and to make that ask. I think people are afraid and so they don't do it. And you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't seek out that role model mentorship um, relationship. So I think just go for it would be my, my final closing thought on that and to build those kind of relationships. And then people can find me. I'm pretty easy to find. I have a website, sonyasigler.com. That's S-O-N-Y-A, my first name. And then my last name, S-I-G-L-E-R. And I'm the same on LinkedIn and I'm the same on Instagram, (laughs) but LinkedIn and my website uh, are probably the best two ways to find me. And then my email is Sonia at SoniaSigler.com. So um, reach out if you have questions, reach out if you are seeking the kind of help that I can, you know, provide. And I really appreciate you having me on today and having this conversation, you know, about how important finding role models and mentors are. 
Well, Sonia, it's been wonderful. This first part of our conversation, there's so many different things that we could talk about. We could talk for days on end about many different things and you've got such incredible insights. So thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to the second part of our conversation. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed part one of our conversation with Sonia Sigler and that you will join us next week for part two of our conversation. I am your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.